Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favourite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish dash tech dash news. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, a.k.a. Crypto Hipster, where I cover all things blockchain and crypto around the world. And today, I have the distinct honor and pleasure of introducing Lindsay Mallon, who is the founder of Mason Do and Najarina, and the CMO, CPO at Split Core Foundation. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, it's a pleasure. Uh, thank you for being here. Um, I just wanted to find out quickly, first of all, the first question I usually have for everybody is the kind of the same. What is your background and how does it apply to what you do now? Um, sure. Okay. So I went to RISD, um, which is the first um, <clears throat> the first design school in the whole country. Most people on the West Coast haven't heard of it. Um, from there, I went to New York. I was in the fashion industry. Um, a couple years in, I kind of had a little bit of a conflict um, internally, I guess you could say. It was an industry that's built on empowering people, what you wear is supposed to you know, give you confidence and all these things. However, behind the scenes, it was a really monstrous industry. There was slave labor. Um, the way that people treated each other in the, in the office space, it really was just such the antithesis of what we faced ourselves as, as faced ourselves as an industry, um, that that's kind of when I stepped back and walked away, um, didn't walk away, but I kind of went down my own path and really started focusing on um, clothing being a platform for education, talking about labor standards, um, sustainable and ethical business, um, and, and how that means a lot more than just the environmental impact of sustainability, it really comes down to the community, the people, um, and what happens behind the scenes more than just organic cotton. Um, that's, that's me. I've been in the industry about 10 years. Um, I've done everything from launching a brand, design, development, production. Um, so I know the entire supply chain, um, sales, B2B, online, offline, you name it, I've done it. <laughs> cool. Um, you are, and this, this kind of caught my attention, it says you are the mother of Maison Du and Split in Najarina. You know, um, there's a lot of news out there that, you know, looking for women leadership, you know, for our women founders and entrepreneurs, please explain your role at each of these organizations. And then how could more women bring a mature feminine leadership presence to their companies? Um, okay. Uh, that's actually interesting. Somebody else just asked me that a similar question about why mother. Um to me, that was just the most intuitive thing to put. Um, I think, you know, I take a lot of ownership around my titles at, at these companies, but um, I think that there's a lot of associations with that. And, and I don't really lead with from a place of hierarchy. Um, I see our team as more of our family. Um, I can have a great idea, but it's nothing if I don't have a team behind me to help execute it. Um, and, and, you know, both Cyrus and I kind of lead with that more servant leadership mentality. So that's kind of where the title mother comes from. Um, and then in regards to females in the workforce, um, I think that we we really need to see more of them. And I think that because for so long, women have been told that we either need, we kind of just have to pick one thing, either you're a mom, you're, you know, sensual, or you're 
a career woman, um, we're, we're sort of in this kind of limbo right now. Um, and a lot of women feel the need to kind of overcompensate. And I think a lot of women that I see are trying to fill the shoes of men as opposed to just being themselves in the workspace. Um, but, but you're your best self and you're the best leader when you're yourself. So, you know, leading with that nurturing aspect, um, being a shoulder to cry on when there's hard days in the office space, that's not a bad thing. Um, you know, I think I see that as a strength. Um, so I really encourage that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, again, I see the team as a as a family and less of a hierarchy. Um, so that's that's kind of my my stance on it. Awesome, I knew because I asked because um, Cyrus did a lot of uh, coaching work with CTI, and I don't know how that relates to what you do. Um, if you have that background, same background or not. Um, I wanted to find out that. <laughs> I do not. I, I just have a lot of experience as a female in the workforce. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, the, the, uh, we, we, he did the CTI and I did landmark education uh, for a long time. And that um, there's a lot of empowerment in, um, in that community. So let's begin with Maison Do. Um, let me talk about decentralized finance. Most projects are, you know, financial services and yield performing platforms like Ave and Bancor and all them. Um, but you have created a, a, a rarity, I think, uh, from what I've seen so far, and that's a decentralized e-commerce uh, system based on the sale of actual goods, products um, and services. Could you please walk us through that? Yeah. Um, so. We've been working on our, our NFT and our um, our whole blockchain system since 2017. Uh, so for us, it's really interesting that right now NFTs are popping up and it's very trendy. Um, and people are really associating it with this digital artwork, which is great. Um, we've been approaching it more from a solutions area. Um, so we're attaching it to real life products um, and then it travels with it and it acts as um, it has smart contracts in it so that kind of helps create transparency around the sales so the part the people who sell it and the people who make it have an automatic set commission that gets dispatched um, it's a proof of authenticity after the fact so you know if you buy a Chanel bag um, and then you resell it 10 years from now Chanel can kind of track that data around what that value retention is um, and there's so many other things that happen with it and then with the DeFi um, we're the first first company um, attaching off-chain assets into DeFi. Um, and we're doing that because, um, you know, that, that's kind of, for us, it feels like more where the solutions are needed, um, especially in clothing and I think a lot of other production areas. People don't see the money for anywhere from six to 15 months. I know that in fashion and luxury, it's 12 to 15 months um, from the I, from the day that something's, man, uh, sorry, from the day that something's developed. Um, and that's a really long time for people to have to front money. Um, so enable to be in the wholesale area, you really need either a lot of money behind you or or you need something like this. And it's really hard to get approved through all the natural portals um, if you're a new business and you know all of those things that kind of work against you. So with our system, you can go on and if you've been selling for X amount of time, now we have data on your sales history and how, how much you sell. And we can say that you know you have $50,000 worth of inventory. So based on your sales, we, you know, we have X amount of data. We can give you a, a, a loan for $10,000 based on um, 
how fast we think we can liquidate your inventory if you default or whatever other factors or you know if you've been in the system for a much longer time we might be able to say hey we can give you thirty thousand dollars or you know whatever the agreement is between you and the the loaner um and then if you default on that we have a flash sale system um so from there, we can just go and quickly liquidate stuff and the off-chain assets sit in a warehouse so they're verified that, that all that inventory exists and it's real um, and it's valid. Um, and then we have a lot of systems for onboarding brands initially to validate that they're true and they are who they say they are. So there's a lot of security that happens along the way. Um, but, but yeah, that's kind of how we approach it, which is definitely a little bit out of the box next to how everyone else is doing it. But um, we're hoping that it helps create a lot of solutions for a lot of brands trying to scale and grow. So let me see if I understand this correctly. The, the benefits for the NFTs and for what you do are different for wholesalers versus the retailers, right? So um, are they or, and how, does it, how, do, how are they different and how do they benefit both? So when once you're in our ecosystem, you start minting NFTs against ENFTs against your product. Um, that can happen from the brand side. That can happen from the store side. That can happen anywhere in the process as long as it's against verified inventory. Um, longer term, we want to start attaching it to the raw supply chain, um, like all the way down to the metal that was, you know, dug up or whatever um so we can start enabling um complete transparency along the the raw material supply chain but that isn't that's probably like a year or two from now um but but no the enft regardless is is the same so if if i'm a brand and i attach it and then i sell it to a net porter that's the same nft that they can if another brand isn't in our system quite yet net porter can go on and they can attach enfts to all of their products i understand Great. <laughs> I know I, I do. I, I do. And, and, and I want to talk about that supply chain because you brought up the metal um, that gets extracted. And back before my, my corporate like career, I, I traveled the world for a little bit backpacking and I went to the make, I went to the Mekong Delta and I was on a, uh, one of those boats where they brought the mud up from the bottom of the Mekong Delta. And what they do is they take that mud and then they create a vase. Like the, the ladies in the village create a vase um you know they get pennies for that and then they send it to thailand and they paint it there and they get they get a bit, little bit more than pennies um then they send it to china and they put a, a stamp on it then they send it to the u.s and they put a brand on it and then you and i as the consumer you know we pay you know a lot of money for that so how how can you know um nfts how can blockchain how can what you're working on be able to benefit the ladies who are creating you know that those bases in the Delta and we're getting pennies today? Um, well, hopefully if we start attaching that ENFT to the entire supply chain, it enables that transparency. So um, I don't know if you saw, um, and I don't, I don't remember the exact name of the brand that did this, but a few months ago, like right in the middle of COVID, this brand kind of went out and they audited the supply chain for a bunch of um, clothing brands that were claiming full sustainability measures. Um, I don't want to, well, I don't want to call out any names, but there was one brand that claims that they're like the most sustainable thing outside of being naked. And I think they got like a 70 or something on the report. And it was kind of like, aha, <laughs> how sustainable is your supply chain? Um, so I think that the consumer is really starting to be aware of that and start demanding it a lot more. Um, so hopefully the consumer demand really starts driving that change. Um, and if we can start implementing this on a universal level, that ENFT can verify that. We can go down the entire thing and we can say, 
this is where this was, um, you know, the raw material was gathered from, um, you know, you can you can put in whatever metadata you want. So it could even say like how much the people got paid and what the fact, you know, factory conditions that might be a little bit extra, but we can start monitoring that and complete and create complete transparency around that. So you really can see, you know, this bag, the leather came from here. It was actually natural dyes. It's not just a greenwashing tactic saying that it was natural dyes. Um, you know, the meat from that also got sourced out and used for food and, you know, whatever measures are involved. Um, I think that transparency around that is really important because like you said, behind the scenes and the further down you get in the supply chain, it really is disheartening, um, which is exactly why we're doing what we're doing. And that's, you know, for, for my clothing line, Nadarina, that's exactly what that storyline is, is don't forget about the people behind the brand because they're not talked about. Um, sustainability is a huge measure right now, but everyone's focusing on organic cotton and you know all those things and and i love that that's great it's a step in the right direction but personally as a consumer i don't really care if it's organic cotton if somebody in a third world country got paid five cents that day to make that that shirt to me that means nothing at the end of the day you know um so we're moving in the right direction and i think that with with education and with access to that and the more that you know covid starting to highlight the people behind things um just because so many jobs were lost, um, a lot of brands turned around and they canceled production orders that were already sewn so then the manufacturers couldn't pay their employees. You know, all of these things are surfacing. Um, and I think that that's a great thing because people are finally talking about the people behind stuff. Um, and, and our ENFT can help create that transparency around that whole system. Great, so I'm gonna dive a little bit more into there because your specific, um, your specific industry is luxury fashion right so what can what can how can you create more create more equitable opportunities at the specific you know fashion supply chain and what do you think needs to be done there further globally um can you repeat that again sorry <laughs> <laughs> no problem no problem i want to look i want to take a, what you just said and, and look at the luxury supply chain because you you know you, you deal with luxury goods and certain and services products and fashion luxury fashion um, what what do you think is being done now and what needs to be done um i think it just comes down to really the transparency of stuff um greenwashing is a huge tactic everyone from fast fashion brands like h&m all the way down to the luxury brands are all kind of screaming sustainability right now just because it's trendy um, a lot of them are starting to move things internally to actually coincide with that um but we're probably only 10% there. Um, so I, I think it's just the consumer really needs to start demanding that full transparency um, and hopefully this universalized system that enables that. <laughs> I don't I don't know if that fully answers your question. Um, it, it, no, it, it does, I mean, it does. Um, there, are, there are a lot of unknowns still, you know, in right. creating that equity. And right. one of the things that you said that caught my attention was wealth is the freedom to live the life that you want. That's your quote. Um, so let's talk about fair trade and opportunity and the free and the creation of wealth and freedom within um, how do we achieve it uh, through conscious luxury and mindfulness? Um, I think that just comes to, to kind of like a, a cultural reset. Um, you know, 
everything behind the scenes hasn't been talked about and it's it's a very we're a very flashy culture and it's about how much money you have and all of these things and wealth is, is you know is what it is on instagram essentially um but but for me it's different it's wealth is the is your freedom it's the ability to do whatever you want in your day and live the lifestyle you want without the restraints of having to worry about your bank account um but what is that freedom if it's at the cost of somebody else's freedom? And I think that's what happens most of the time right now. People are lining their pockets, but what's happening on the backside is their employees are underpaid and can barely make a living. Um, you know, I read some somewhere that Walmart like intentionally doesn't hire people full time just so that way they have to go on whatever state care um, because they don't want to have to deal with benefits or any of those things. I don't know how legitimate that is, but um, you know, just that general ethos applies to a lot of big corporate companies. Um, so yeah, I think just kind of resetting how we see wealth and what that means. And, and instead of it being an individual thing, slightly more communal. And I, I know that the communal aspect isn't necessarily going to appeal to the masses, but I mean, how much do you really need at the end of the day? Um, if you're living the life that you want and you're prosperous and you don't have to worry about money and all that stuff, if you have an abundance of money somewhere else, does it really matter if you start using that and putting it towards employee benefits and you know better care packages, healthcare, all of those things so your employees are happy and they have balanced lives? Um, you know, they're gonna come up and they're, they're gonna work for you better anyway. You're gonna have to hold their hand a little bit less. They're gonna be more motivated. They're gonna enjoy showing up every day. It's gonna, you know, it, it's very symbiotic. Um, and I think that we kind of forget that. Um, so that's kind of hopefully where we're moving. <laughs> mm -hmm. So how do you think, how do you, how do you think NFTs play a role in that? Ooh, good question. Um, well, with the supply chain, we, we can definitely enable that. Um, I mean, an NF, an NFT at the end of the day is programmable data. Um, I'm sure you and Cyrus probably talked about that. Um, <laughs> um, you, you can track whatever you want. You could attach it to, people, it can be, um, you know, it could be an identification you could use at a bar instead of um, an actual driver's license. Um, this is actually Cyrus's idea, so I'm not gonna take credit for this, um, but his thing is always like, when you go to a bar for a female, you know, the bouncer sees your, your address and all this information on your driver's license. Is that really the most secure thing as a female these days? Probably not. So if you did that with an NFT, um, you know, you could show your, your birth date and whatever information that they actually need without giving away information that is, um, that kind of like compromises your security. Um, so if you apply that down to employees, you can really, it's programmable data. You can put whatever you want into it. Um, we could start verifying work information, um, office structures, anything. Creating entire environments and ecosystems around it that'll help. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, that potentially that could go too far and get a little bit scary, but um, but I think in the right balance, there's a lot of potential for the NFT to, to start solving problems, um, for sure. Awesome. So so let's look at what your work is at um, the Split Core Foundation. You know, uh, first, uh, what what specifically? How's how's your role there? Um, and what what are some of the initiatives that you've been working on with Split Core? Um, well, I come in with kind of a double a double persona, I guess. Um, I have my whole decade of retail experience behind me. So 
Um, we have a team of very strong tech people. Cyrus has an amazing background himself with his consulting. Um, I kind of bring that other side of more what the brands are going to need to make this a seamless, seamless um, adaptation, and and you know what things that they'll need within the apps and the plugins. Um, problems that they're going to have. I've gone through all of this, so I know where the pain points are, how to solve them. Um, you know, all of that comes in. And then also, I'm a very creative person, so I'm doing all of our marketing, um, storytelling, helping deconstruct this conversation. Um, I think one of the key factors in what's making us successful right now is that we are adoptable into existing structures. So we're not saying, hey, guys, we built this really amazing technology. I know you've spent hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars building out your online stores, but just ditch that and come over here <laughs> and then train all of your staff rebuild a new infrastructure that's not going to happen <laughs> maybe five ten years from now when people really understand what this technology is that will happen um but i think a lot of blockchain and even crypto it's it's so niche in this small community because it's it's marketed to it's the conversations around it are really um targeted at this community of people that already understands it so how is it going to break out of that um and that's that's kind of where i step in um and our whole team steps in we're really breaking it down and we're we're making it more digestible um you know the number of articles that i've run through and and said okay we need to reword this because my grandma isn't going to understand this somebody who understands blockchain will but my grandma doesn't and a brand owner isn't going to understand this. And if you don't understand it, you're immediately turned off and you're probably gonna walk away. Um, so that, that's probably my biggest role is really just helping make that conversation understandable to the consumers and the brands and the people who are actually going to be using it. So I wanna talk about consumers for a minute because a couple of weeks ago I interviewed <laughs> Tim Draper, uh, VC. And um, you said that the way to uh, achieve mass adoption of Bitcoin um, is through women shoppers. And, <laughs> and from, from what you've seen, you know, um, because you're probably the closest person I've talked to who could be closest to that. What do you, what are your opinions on that? I would say yes. I mean, the, the female is the bigger shopper in the household typically. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, I, I think we can say that's inarguably the truth. <laughs> Um, which is funny because it is such a male dominant um, community, but I think that's starting to change. Um, but on the other side, and, and more more realistically, um, you know, um, gosh, I just lost my trail of thought. Um, crypto also has a mul like multimillionaires. It's a very wealthy community. People have grown their wealth. They've made their wealth there. But where do they shop with that wealth right now? I mean, I've seen um, a few websites for like luxury yachts. I know Tesla is now accepting Bitcoin. Um, you know, there's small companies that are popping, not, not small Tesla's not small, but private companies that are popping up that are offering that option. But um, if, if you are a multimillionaire, where can you shop at your lifestyle price point right now? Nowhere. <laughs> you can't go to Right, exactly. Like a couple, you can get a yacht and a Tesla and like a couple other things. I think there's like a, a watch website, but that's it. Um, you can't go to a mall, you can't go to Net-A-Porter, you can't go to any of these multi-brand platforms and shop with crypto, which is the money that you've made. You have to go um, trade it into fiat, into cash, whatever, and shop with it that way. Um, so that's like, an, I think that that's also a very critical thing. Um, and that's Split is doing and we're doing it 
um, in the background. So you, you can either shop with crypto if you know what it is and you're comfortable with it, or you can shop with whatever standard measures of um, money that you would normally credit, whatever. Um, and then it kind of works in the background and we have shopper rewards that you get back that are ShopX tokens and all of these things to kind of build that bridge and build that comfort over. Um, but, but I think that if you look at it that way, going back to your females, who is shopping? <laughs> Especially in the luxury industry. I think like, I don't know the exact statistic, but just a quick visually seeing how many runway shows happen. Um, it's probably 80% of the industry is all females. Um, so that that's definitely driving your economy. Our shoe obsession is <laughs> it's driving the market. <laughs> I know another thing that Sabbath cared about is um is children, right? Um, and I'm not into I don't I haven't bought, you know, new clothes for a while for myself, but my kids get new clothes all the time. So um, how does how do you think the, the children should be you know, set up to learn about the future through technology? Um, if that is that an opportunity there as well? That is a good question. Um, and I think that's kind of I'm sure you can agree. I, I have a six year old. I think that's always the the kind of like the battle is these kids spend like five minutes on an iPhone and they know how to do more than I do. I, I know my six year olds literally taught me how to do stuff on my phone. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I guess it kind of comes down to that battle between the tech is the future and enabling them to know how to use it is important. But, you know, where do you draw that line? Because then they also get addicted to it and all these other things. Um, I, I don't know if I know the answer to that. I know in our household, it's you know, obviously becoming a little bit more of a common term because our company runs off of crypto. Um, so by default, Mila, my, my six-year-old, she hears conversations about it. Um, I, I don't I don't really know if I know the answer though. I think it's just kind of that slow adoption into it. And and most likely they'll catch on to it faster than us. <laughs> my really, they're not, too. you know, I don't know. Uh, what do you think? I, I'd be curious to hear. I have an 11 year old and I have a seven and I have an eight year old um, and they are so quick uh, with the technology. You show them something, they know how to do it. And I try to turn on um, screen, uh, screen stop for the day and they can bypass it. And I'm, I don't know how you, how you do that. <laughs> I think it's a password thing. Like I, Mila figured out how to do that during COVID too. And I was like, <laughs> mm -hmm. they're growing up, they're growing smart. <laughs> are you like, using binoculars over like how how are you seeing me use the passcode <laughs> exactly but um, yeah i think in that vein probably they'll they'll just adopt into it and it'll be a lot more seamless for us we're so used to certain ways and certain structures and doing things certain ways um that our our minds are a little bit more rigid to old systems um our brains are very much um pre-wired to like patterns and consistency um, actually, fun fact, I think it's the middle of the night dreaming. Your brain is taking your entire history and it's using that to try and create patterns to predict your future because that's how much our brains like patterns. <laughs> um, so with age, of course, that gets harder set. But these kids, they're so malleable. I don't, you know, if you hand them $100 digitally or $100 in cash, I don't, I don't know if they would care. <laughs> right. That makes sense. Um, thank you. Um, so I wanted to ask you uh, one last question today. Thank you for your time. First of all, um, it's been an amazing conversation. Um, how can people learn more about you, uh, get to know you, uh, reach out? Uh, how can they do that? 
Um, anywhere, I guess. Um, I'm on Twitter. I, I just started a Twitter probably six months ago. Um, <laughs> I'm on Telegram, um, Instagram, any of those. I'm pretty. I'm pretty open, so when people message me, I'm usually pretty good about responding. Um, I'm definitely a for the people type of person. I love the random conversations. I miss. I miss going out to bars. Finally, stuff's opening up, but I'm definitely that person that walks in and makes 10 friends and has random conversations. So I encourage people to reach out. <laughs> right. And the, and for and to, for for your work at Nagerina and for Split Core and for Mesundu, how can they best um, learn more information for the, uh, through those? Um, each company has its website. Mason Dew's website is um, kind of just a landing page right now. We're working on an entire branding package that should be out in a couple months. Um, so there'll be a more legitimate website at that point. Um, but there's contacts through all of the websites. There's like a hello or um, that kind of email. So those are definitely good ways to reach out. Um, Nadarina and Split both have their own websites with all the information there. Thank you very much for your time. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.